You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And glad to be with you, Kyla, on this uh, I'm not, lovely week that we've had here. Great weather in Vancouver. Oh, my goodness. I'm not driving this time. You're not driving this time? Yep. A little bit more relaxed this week? Uh, well, you know, I had a, an AGM today. I would like to say, I would just like to put it out there, that at the CBA National Annual general meeting. Canadian Bar Association annual general meeting. Right. I, as chair of the criminal justice section. Chair, yes. Successfully moved a resolution that the CBA advocate for the right to reasonable bail in Canada and to upholding that right. And that that resolution passed. Good. And that as vice chair of the Women Lawyers Federation, Women Lawyers Forum rather, uh, Vice Chair of the Women Lawyers. WLF. WLF. I moved an abortion that I really wasn't the, the driving force behind you it. You moved an abortion. Uh, but I moved a resolution on the need to protect the right to abortion access in Canada. Very important. And that resolution passed. Good. So I moved two major important resolutions today at our AGM. And there were also many, many lawyers on the AGM. Two major important resolutions on the protection of uh, queer and trans individuals in Canada that also passed today. So today was a good day for social justice. Well, uh, the lawyers who are members of the Canadian Bar Association, I am no longer one of them, um, but um, the lawyers who are members have uh, quite a bit of influence. And of course, the justice minister uh, does regularly consult with the Canadian Bar Association, provided it's a government that has a justice minister that regularly consults with it. Canadian Bar Association. But yes, important things and uh, also very important that um, there were some good points about uh, the use of the notwithstanding clause and how that should generally be used to protect rights, not take away rights. And how did you attend the AGM if you're not a member? <laughs> I walked past your office and I listened to that and I was quite, I thought it was quite compelling. <laughs> and uh, there was a, uh, there was another point that was really good. Oh, no, this was not there. I read uh, about some Saskatchewan teachers who are considering job action now mm -hmm. uh, because of the Saskatchewan government's uh, approach to dealing with um, uh, trans kids and um, the restrictions. Right. The restrictions on the teachers, and uh, so yeah, I, I, I mean, strike job action, uh, quit. Yeah, you know. Do what you have to do. This is important. Shut yeah, down the schools. This is one of those times we're talking about rights. We're talking about rights for people um, who are vulnerable. Speaking of rights for people, if I told you that people who try and access the civil and family court system of justice in British Columbia feel like they have very little in the way of rights because they can't get long chambers dates or trial dates, you would say. I agree. Now. What if I told you that in 2024, the year of our Lord, 2024, we are finally in the fall, <laughs> in the fall at the end of 2024. Not, not now. 
finally. And it'll get pushed back. Going to get an online court date booking system. Oh, my God. Where counsel can submit multiple dates ranked in order of preference or multiple matters at the same time. And then the court will somehow judiciously decide who gets what dates. But I am assuming they will not um, just prioritize one person and all their dates over somebody else. Well, I am thankful for you, Kyla, because you're the one who has been pushing this publicly for some time. You're one of the person who have been uh, calling out the government, embarrassing them because this is ridiculous. You need to get a chamber's date. Well, you go to court and the 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 uh, other side, the AG, who are basically responsible for ensuring this, stand up and say, well, you took too long to come to court with your matter. Great. You know, find, find me a date. You, and good luck getting a date. You want to hire me staff to come in on the second Tuesday of every month and furiously- yeah, Let's just explain quickly how yeah, how so we get a court to, date in Chambers. get a court date for a judicial review of a roadside prohibition hearing in Chambers in British Columbia. You must, on the second Tuesday of every month, commencing at 8.29 a.m. because you want to get in the queue at 8.30 a.m., Start dialing 604-660-2853. And then you'll get a bunch of, like, not connecting line sounds. You'll get an automatic recording saying the court isn't open. You'll get busy signals, which you almost never get these days. And then finally, you will get put on hold and put into a queue. And you and up to 100 other people, well, 99 other people, are in that queue at the same time. And we're using half our staff. To phone in at this and time lawyer. to get in. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And uh, once you're in the queue, you're on hold for anywhere from zero to 60 minutes while you wait for somebody to answer. And hopefully you're early enough in the queue and there are enough judges sitting and dates available that they haven't all been snapped up before you do that. And then when it's your turn, you get to book and you can book one matter. One. One. Meaning if you have more than one client, like, mm, I don't know, every lawyer does, then good luck getting a date because then you have to hang up and do it again. But nine times out of 10, once they pick up the phone, they go, sorry, no dates left. All gone. Bye. Have a nice day. Talk to you next month if you can get through. Talk to you next month if you get through. So you think about access to justice, right? There's all these people are so concerned. Oh, access to justice. People don't have access to a lawyer. There's plenty of lawyers out there. Um, it's just the lawyers look at, you know, how we have to spend our time. Yeah. Um, wasting it. And, and if you try and do it without a date, like you've got a short matter and you want to just go into court, you go into court and you spend your whole day there waiting and you may not get on. Yeah. And so again, those are things that like somebody pays for, right? You know, your client's paying for it or you, you, or you're not paying yourself. And that's really uh, the unfortunate thing. So now online booking, they're claiming, is coming in September. That's a big change. Yes. So we'll see. Maybe something will uh, speed up, speed things up for the courts. But you never know. Um, speaking of people who are looking to get a court date, Paul, yeah, there's been a lawsuit filed in B.C. Supreme Court, and you would not believe who filed it. Okay, let's hear it. Show hand trucking. Oh, the overpass trucking people, the, yeah. the overpass strikers. Yes. Well, so, hey, man, they're they're innocent until proven guilty. How do we know that they actually struck so, those overpasses? Cho- Chohan Freight Forwarders, the BC company, and Chohan Group out of Alberta that's using its Alberta fleet in BC currently because it can't operate its BC fleet in Alberta, but it's really the same thing. Um, it uh, They're taking the BC government to court 
to get their vehicles back on the road um and uh they're suing um and they're they're it's ridiculous they're claiming that their two companies are not the same company it's just the same family that owns two different companies well there's the old corporate veil thing i mean you know it's a corporation as an entity unto itself right yeah. Um, that's the, uh, that's the way we view it in law, except when there's exceptions written into legislation in some form or another. Um, so they are suing and, and I guess they're seeking like a declaratory relief or like a, an injunction to stop the current prohibition or what, do we know what they're seeking? Well, they're trying to get the ban lifted on the Alberta company because BC extended the ban to the Alberta company when word came out that the Alberta Chohan was operating in BC after the BC Chohan was, was like, I'm surprised Chohan Trucking can't just call up some other friendly trucking company and say, yeah. take these over for us for a while. So um, they're trying to get rid of that order. They're saying that just because the owner of the BC company's son owns the Alberta company, <laughs> that they're not they're not related. And the BC company's safety record has nothing to do with the Alberta company's safety record. Um, you know, not like father, like son. Well, uh on the one hand, you could say the uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but in this case, there's no necessarily example of the Alberta company having an issue. And I really don't like the idea of um, the assumption that uh, a son is somehow the same as his father. Uh, sure. You know, you shouldn't have to uh, bear the weight of your father's burden in that respect. But uh, if it looks like it's all just the same company and it's just for the sake of... Um, the sake of uh, whatever tax reason or something like that, that they have somebody else in charge. I mean, who are the owners of it and who is the operator of it? Yeah. The other thing is- Same logo? Probably. It is the same logo. The BC company is also suing to get its license reinstated, essentially saying the actions are of an owner-operator and don't reflect the actions of the freight company as a whole. Well, that's a good argument. I mean, if you have a hundred trucks out there, um, and you're, you do your best to make sure that people are trained. You've got a driver who screws up and hits an overpass, and then you've got another driver who screws up and hits an overpass. And then maybe you've got one driver who's hates the company and decides he hits an overpass. Like, I don't, you know, you never know. Um, people are, people do strange things. Is it, is it systemic of the company? I mean, and how's the company supposed to come down? What are you going to do? Call all your drivers in and, and, and threaten to do what to them if they, if they make a mistake. Fire them? Well, I, they probably did, and they probably do. Well, anyway, their complaint is that the decision to take all 65 trucks off the road is unreasonable and that it's costing them about a million dollars a week, which kind of goes to tell you just how much money there is in this truck industry, a million dollars a week. That's a lot of money. That's fifty costing million them a million dollars a week in revenue. Wow, fifty-two million a year. God, we're in the wrong business. I know, right? Like, and you imagine and we talked about it before. Have Ky- other revenues? Kyla Lee. We talked about Kyla Lee Trucking. Yeah, years ago. Why did we, we do that? Jeez, jeez. Maybe we should. If we could buy Chohan Trucking, we can have Chohan, no, no new you. owners. <laughs> we don't have a million dollars, but neither do you now. <laughs> um. Anyway, I do have to give credit where credit is due to uh david eby for the most hilarious former podcast guest former podcast guest david eby for the most hilarious uh comment uh about this which is 
that he hopes they don't hit an overpass on their way into court. Hopes they don't hit an overpass <laughs> on their way to court. Our premier. Yeah. Um, Dave's a funny guy. And uh, that's a pretty funny comment. And I'm sure it won't uh, end up being a, a issue in the case. But, um, of course, he is the premier. <laughs> the uh, government has got to go up against them. That's the way it works. Yeah. Now, speaking of people like hitting stuff, do you ever enter into a roundabout and feel like you're either going to hit someone or someone's going to hit you? Uh, very commonly. And a lot of people don't seem to understand the rules of a roundabout. For example, the person who's in the roundabout has the right of way and you have to wait. Um, I had a, a almost road rage circumstance where I was in the roundabout and a guy in a mini uh, decided to enter the roundabout and and just drive in front of me and I almost collided with him and I beat my horn and he got out to start swearing at me. It's like, were you in your truck? I was in my truck. Could have just run him over. I, I wouldn't run somebody over. Self-defense. I'm not that, I'm not that angry guy. <laughs> I never have been. What if he came at you? You know, if he came at me, I would back up and drive away probably. Um, well, um, you feel. Are the exception. <laughs> you, you feel the same way, uh, as about 15% of British Columbians surveyed by ICBC. They do not feel comfortable in roundabouts. 57%. I'm comfortable with them. It's just that I don't think other people know how to drive in them. Anyway. Right. Well, 57% um, feel confident navigating a single lane roundabout. Those are easy, right? Very easy. Um, all the little Kitsilano ones. Um, <laughs> well, that's where mine happened. Yeah. And 29%, it really drops, for multi-lane roundabouts, all the Abbotsford-Langley ones. Some of those are really confusing. That one on the, uh, near your, on the island there, yeah, to get off to ferry, ferry uh, from I North Sanit. That one is terrible. There, That one in Abbotsford to get off the highway, confusing yeah, as heck. Yeah, exit, yeah. Um, but, you know, the ones at UBC are very clear, nice big arrows on them, unless it's rainy, you know, pouring rain and you can't see the arrows on the road, they're not too bad, but. Um, I have a long history with roundabouts because I come from Edmonton and they managed to keep their gigantic roundabouts for a long time. They still have them. So 15% of people find it difficult to know who has the right of way when entering a roundabout. But the biggest frustration that people have in a roundabout is what you have, which is that other people don't know what they're doing. Which is like, I think if you were to ask people their biggest frustration about driving, they would probably almost always say other people. Like, hey, nobody's going to sure. identify their, themselves and their bad driving skills as their biggest frustration. I'm sure. I'm sure. One of the things that I've noticed in the single lane roundabouts in Vancouver, the ones that you mentioned, the Kitsilano roundabouts, is people assume because it's a, a busier street like Blenheim or something like that, that they should have the right of way going through. And even the people coming off the side streets, which at that point are, they have the same right of way as you do, mm -hmm. you know, on Blenheim. Um, are often under the assumption that they have to wait for the traffic that's on Blenheim. And, you know, I stop for a vehicle that's got, was there first mm -hmm. and should be entering the roundabout. Uh, and people are looking at me, I get people beeping their horn at me. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty common, but, you know, still roundabouts are, are effective for so many reasons. They slow everybody down. And whenever there's a collision in a roundabout, it's usually much less um, damaging, much less uh, likely to have significant injuries or something like that. In fact, ICBC statistics and uh, statistics worldwide show that roundabouts reduce injury 
crashes by 75% because they slow people down and they eliminate the common causes of crashes, head on, right angle, and left turn. Exactly. But they still have rear-ender ones, which are very common because people think, especially in the in the larger uh, roundabouts, they assume that the person in front of them has space to get in there. So here's my modest proposal, Paul. Yes. Let's eliminate all intersections, replace them all with roundabouts, and then let's set up roadblocks in the roundabouts, but the police can only stop the drivers who don't do it right. Well, I would be happy. To, <laughs> I, I would be happy if the police only stop the drivers who don't do it right. Um, I think the police could probably conduct uh, impaired driving roadblocks at uh, in roundabouts quite easily. Um, okay, well, uh, that's your modest p- proposal. I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of. Uh, no, <laughs> but it's cheaper than maintaining traffic lights. Uh, traffic lights are expensive. Traffic lights are expensive. I was saying a roundabout's cheap and you can plant stuff in the middle. We could plant like edible plants in the middle of all of the roundabouts so that then we had like better access to food resources. There you go. There is, uh, of course, a song about roundabouts uh, no. by XTC. No. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That that won't go well on the recording. English roundabout. If you want to English clip it. English roundabout. You can, get, you can get Jay to clip it in. But don't just play your your Apple Music off your phone into the mic. Well, yeah, I only wanted to play three notes, as that way we don't have to pay for using it. This is why he's the co-host and not the host. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I know my does. All right. Do you have a the ridiculous driver of the week? The week. The week. The week. The week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. Gross. I have many ridiculous drivers for you and you'll have to go look for them. Many. Because we have a phenomena, folks. We have something new. We have people who are driving around, uh, apparently often seen now in things like cyber trucks while using something called the Apple Vision Pro. And this is a like a, a virtual reality headset that you put on and uh, you can you have screens in front of you, but you also have the world behind you. And uh, there's been a bunch of videos released. I've seen them on TikTok. I've seen them on uh, uh, some news stories. Uh, and it's not just one person, it's various people who, since the Apple Vision Pro was just recently released, are driving around with this thing on, and it looks like their hands are sort of floating in the air, but they're they're using the virtual keyboard that, that exists in the Apple Vision Pro. So, is using an Apple Vision Pro using an electronic device while driving? It's not an earpiece. It's hands-free. It's, it's fixed on your body. It's... Yeah, it's worn on the body. This is going to be a very quick issue for legislation, but I would say that um, without a doubt, it's driving without due care and attention. Uh, and that is already an offense in British Columbia. But, but it escapes the electronic device 
portion. But can you prove that somebody who's driving while wearing the Apple Vision Pro is actually manipulating anything because you can't see what they see? Well, that's true, too. You don't know what's in their face. They might have moved all the screens away and just be seeing the world as it is. But when you see them driving down, you you get a spider in your car and that's why they're waving their hand in front or they're waving to another driver. Hey, hey, no, you go. You go. It's your turn. You don't know how to use a four way stop or a roundabout. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a stretch, Kyla. But I'm but, already winning these cases. I'm sure you. I'm, I'm sure you are. You have built, built in all these defenses. Anyway, I was uh, I was shocked to see that there was a few of them come out, and uh, of course, all of these uh, videos of people walking around the streets with these thing on things on. Um, and uh, I guess this is uh, this is going to be a thing. I would imagine that governments are going to have to deal with this, just like uh, they still have failed to deal with. Um, um, the self-driving aspect of, uh, of Tesla products, but people driving Tesla Cybertrucks with wearing their Apple vision pro, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, is, is the new thing. And that is certainly, certainly, certainly the ridiculous driver of the week and may turn into being something more than that. The ridiculous driver of our era. Well, I will just say this. If you get a ticket while wearing your Apple Vision Pro, please call me. I want to take the case. I know you want it. Let let me argue this. This sounds fun. Uh, I want you to know that this is not an encouragement for someone to use their Apple Vision Pro while driving just because you can get the famous Kyla Lee to come and defend your ticket. Not a great great, uh, ticket to get to start with. And you yeah. don't want to be the one who ends up with a conviction, even with the great pilot. You don't want to be the one who ends up litigating this as the test case that will probably end up in the media. Indeed. Because you know what people are saying about people who wear the Apple Vision Pro? Probably not. They're losers. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a loser, call me. <laughs> well, you, just before this podcast started today, folks, Kyla asked me, should I get one of these Apple Vision Pros? So probably like $8,000. I have no idea. Ah, you can afford it. No, I can't. I've got a mortgage. That's true, you do. But, you know, just uh, buy some, buy your peanut butter at Costco from now on instead of at uh, at Safeway. You'll be okay. You think I need like a, anyway. All right. That's our podcast. If you have a driving law related issue and you need to get in touch with us, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.